In this episode of The Fool Nerd, we talk G-Sync, why no triacylite, and a very special guest from NVIDIA. Welcome to The Fool Nerd, episode 10. I hope everybody's recovered from Halloween. I have not. This episode is recorded on, obviously, November 1st. I can't even talk anymore. I'm your host, Gordon Maung, with co-host Brad Charkas. Hello. Uh, and controlling the vertical and horizontal is, of course, Adam Patrick Murray. Hey, Gordon, I have a question. Uh, oh. Did you have fun uh, watching the Apple keynote last week? Yeah, actually, I did. I got a little, I got a little drunk. I got to go back and see if I made any mistakes and stuff. So. <laughs> but, you know, we, we actually played a game where every time the the press and the, the crowd applauded. I just had a drink of beer. So. <laughs> I think I went to two full large glasses. You got real red. Got a little, you got real red. Got a little goofy. <clears throat> and of course, to my left is a very special guest. This is none other than Tom Peterson of NVIDIA. Tom, if you don't know who he is, and I don't see how you can if you care about PC hardware, he knows his stuff. We've gotten Tom to come on to the full nerd because he can talk the details. He can't tell you everything that he knows because then they would fire him and probably sue us. I would get fired. But we're going to get as much information as we can about topics we care about. The number one thing that kicked all this off, Brad and I have been talking about this, and it is G-Sync. We're going to talk NVIDIA's G-Sync. Awesome technology, also extremely controversial. I don't know why it's controversial, but it is It is exciting. And I did read your article, Brad. I thought it was a very good article. Um, but there's a couple things that, uh, you know, I felt like we could give you a little more detail on. And so that's definitely a topic I'm all, I'm sure. all excited about. Well, and I bring up the controversy because, uh, you know, the story we ran just uh, a couple weeks ago, basically saying, why are there so few G-Sync panels? And, you know, just sort of looked into it. And, you know, you look at the you look at like how many G-Sync panels there are. I don't know the, the latest count. I think it may be a couple dozen or so, maybe a dozen. It's about 40. 40? Okay, mm-hmm. 40. And if you look at the amount of panels that have, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, AMD's uh, FreeSync or Adaptive Sync, it's got to be, what, a couple hundred now, Brad? I'm, you probably have it's a It's over idea. 100. Over 100. Mm-hmm. Okay, so over 100. Mm-hmm. So in the short amount of time that AMD has announced its competing sync technology, there's they also have more than doubled the amount of panels and of course the panels are are ex- much cheaper i mean a, G- a g-sync panel is is a, is a premium you pay for a premium for that so yeah. people are like well, what's going on cheaper? Right? yeah yeah that's a very good question well let me let me start off with what's our strategy on g-sync and then we'll get into a little bit of the details about how that strategy results in what you see in the market right so our our whole strategy is that we're trying to make the gaming experience better and that's why we invented g-sync and the whole variable refresh rate technology but but our our plan is and, and it, it's an expensive and it takes a lot of work on our side to make happen. But we're going to say if you take an an NVIDIA GPU and you connect it up to this monitor, that the experience you get is going to be great. And when you're doing variable refresh technology, there's a lot of things that are new and can go wrong. So when we first started this out, we kind of said, well, we could do this through the, you know, the way video um, monitors were done in the past. You just sort of say, there's going to be somebody that makes a scaler. There's going to be somebody that makes a panel. There'll be somebody that puts that together and then they're going to put it into market. And when you're doing something that hasn't changed for 20 years, like an LCD to 
display or a fixed refresh rate technology, that works. That's the that's why PCs have gotten so big and, and, and cost less. It's because of that distribution of work and that channel model. But when you do something new like variable rate um, refresh and, and variable technology, it actually takes a more um, sort of closed, hands-on approach because it turns out that you know LCDs are very complex devices. And as the refresh rate is now changing, different panels, I'm talking about the, the different you know um, glass technologies, have very different parameters. So what we found is we have to test all these panels. We have to connect it with a scaler that basically we're building, which is the G-Sync module. And the combination of those two plus our graphics driver is what makes G-Sync as good as it is. And we've found that not only do we have to qualify the panels, we have to actually qualify the monitors. We look at things like you know flicker and we look at things like color gamuts and all of these different um, parameters that really affect the game and affect the gaming experience require an engineering team really to do it. Now, um, the alternative is to, again, you know, say, hey, here's, a, here's an open spec, so go ahead right. and build it, and, and people will integrate it into a scaler, and then somebody will build a monitor. But who's doing the QA? Who is, who is making sure that there's a complete range of refresh rates that work? So G-Sync, obviously, everybody knows, I hope by now, that it has a complete range of refresh rates. So if your game is rendering at 20 frames a second or 15 frames a second or 100 and whatever frames a second, our variable refresh rate technology just works through that entire range. Now, if you look at the kind of the open, um, you know, kind of, I'll call it unengineered version of that, there's a lot less uh, flexibility and it results in artifacts when you're gaming. So our general strategy is, hey, we're going to invest in it because it's a technology for the very uh, upper end of our market, and we're going to make sure it's a beautiful and um, fantastic experience. Okay. You, Brad, you got any questions? I know you had a couple of burning juicing questions. I have a couple too. But. <laughs> Go for it. So when you're saying it's a premium experience, right, one of the yep. big draws for AMD's cards, they pitch, hey, you know, you can get a FreeSync monitor that would help smooth this out for, you know, relatively inexpensive amount of money. Um, is that not a target market that you're aiming for yet? Is that what I'm hearing here? Um, well, the way to think about it is uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're focusing on the experience first, which means that um, we're gonna spend the additional costs and and build these more slightly more expensive components. Um, but the cost is not really what's driving what end users are seeing as the price, because the price is really determined by the market, right? People who you know people are trying to buy the G-Sync monitors, and retailers are pricing them at prices that allow them to sell through. So the prices are more of a reflection of hey. Do people want G-Sync? Do people, do people value what we've done? And the answer is yes. Um, and you can tell that because there is a premium. It's, it's kind of like when you go out and you buy a car, right? Some cars that have four wheels and they have an engine are, are, are $10,000. And other cars that, that are better performance or have better colors or have better whatever cost more. And the reason they cost more is not because of how much it takes to make the car. It's because whatever, they've, whatever combination of features and benefits are valued more by the people that are making those decisions. So that's why I, I see the prices as being different, not so much because of our strategy is more costly, although it is. Um, it's because of the value that we're delivering is, is worth it. That's what I like to think. I mean, there's still hardware, though. In, so in desktop displays, you're still building a scaler. Um, and that, that module adds cost, It right? does. So but, your but certification but the cost. truth is, um, the truth is that when you look at the cost, especially at the high end, if you look at this, you know, the Predator and other these 34 by 14 kind of monitors, the cost is mostly the glass and the panel. And then it's in a segment that is higher margin. 
So as and and our our module, which is you know about that big, is replacing a traditional scaler and memory, and and so the net bomb difference to a manufacturer is actually not that much money. And for and, people who don't know, bomb is build materials. It's basically all the the ingredients you build a yeah. product out of. So so that's why I I get this question a lot, and people think that G Sync is more expensive in the market because of the costs that we inject into it because of our engineering stuff, and it's actually not so much true. Um, the costs are are modern. It's the price is being determined by the market more more often than not because these are premium. You're saying yeah. most of these are premium monitors. Yep. They're very high end, and the margins are big, right. right? And so the margins on these monitors are are being um, kind of consumed by the entire channel, right? The the retailers are making more, the uh, monitor manufacturers are making more, and that's the whole you know that's hey innovation. You kind of start at the top, and then there's um, demand, and that's how the whole cycle is you know self reinforcing. Sure, but I mean, but you know, you bring up a, a good analogy with the car thing. Um, I you know, hell, I, we'd all love to have a Ferrari or a Tesla. Yeah, but you know what, Honda Civic gets me to work just at the same 15 mile an hour yep. gridlock crawl. <laughs> and when I go out to buy a panel and I'm, you know, your average gamer, they're going to go out, they, they go look at a new panel. It's what they may pay 200 bucks on, on even on that's for the vast majority, oh, not, yeah. the, not the very high end. Yep. Those people are almost by default ending up with uh, free sync panels. Yep. Right. And invariably they're probably running since 75% of gamers run NVIDIA, they are running an NVIDIA card and they are running a free sync monitor at some point aren't they going to say well you know what i've got this free sync technology next why don't i the next go around i'm going to i'm going to do amd so i can take advantage of it is it's, that it's certainly something that we look at and i i would say that while it's true that a lot of gamers today are just sort of ending up with FreeSync because that's at the price point that they care about most of those monitors are not being bought because of FreeSync. They're being bought because of a price point and because of the fact that the FreeSync technology is based on adaptive sync, which is right. basically integrated to a several um, silicon manufacturer scalers. Nobody's checking it out. Nobody is QAing it. You know, nobody's making sure it doesn't flicker. So I would say that the vast majority of, of that, that lower cost is actually being run in a fixed refresh rate mode. But, but um, your point about wouldn't it be great if, if somehow we could enable G-Sync and lower price points in the market? You're absolutely right. right. And that would be a fantastic thing. And, you know, I never, I, I can't really talk about future products or future product plans, but I think that's an obvious, you know, an obvious place we could focus. Could now, you know, sort of like my, my view of, and I've talked to a lot of um, other journalists about this, and it just sort of seems like it, this only ends up in the world where 95% of panels are G-Sync or FreeSync, sorry. And then you'll just be sort of this isolated island. Are you just going to support it? I mean, because what you said earlier, of course, people are like, oh, that sounds like Tom is saying we're going to we're going to support FreeSync at one. Or, but I really sort of see you saying, you know, you know, we're going to get you a two hundred dollar free uh, G Sync monitor. Is what I sort of no, no, no. Uh, first of all, I mean, no comment about whether we're going to. Yeah, right, right. But I would say that um, supporting all of our customers over time is, is is a great thing to do if you're a company like Nvidia. So if there's a way that we can help the channel, you know, bring lower cost products to market, we certainly will. Sure. But that doesn't mean would we're going to support got- Adaptive Sync or anything like that. Yeah. Go ahead. Would you be open to possibly uh, supporting adaptive sync in the future to bring it down as like a stopgap procedure so that they could, you know, the people who have cheaper monitors uh, could use their NVIDIA card and get the benefits of FreeSync. But you're saying that uh, G-Sync has all these additional features and that could still be pitched as a premium. Yeah. So there would still there's be definitely true. That. Do you think the there's pro- a the, I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Do you think there's a possibility of that possibly happening in the future? I, I think... Um, 
the thing that I'm worried about or thing that we're worried about is we don't want to set expectations that we can't deliver on. So let's say that um, NVIDIA just magically did all the work to make FreeSync work if we could, or make, make adaptive sync, which is the spec work. Um, then we're setting the expectation that those monitors are going to have a good experience. And the truth is we're not really confident that that's the case. So it's, it's much more complex than just supporting that spec. Is, is NVIDIA or are our partners willing to invest in the QA and invest in the maintenance for now thousands of monitors or, or, or certainly hundreds of monitors? And that's an investment right now that you know, we just can't afford, you know, we cannot make. So the question is, would we turn it on and, and deliver a less great experience for free? Or would we just say, listen, if you're going to use your monitor in a fixed refresh rate, any monitor works. If you want to use one that's been qualified to work in a variable refresh rate mode, then these are the ones that work. And, and right now, you know, the, the truth is that we can deliver on our promises for G-Sync. And it's not at all clear that the ecosystem can deliver on the promises if, if we don't do that work. And you're concerned about somebody going out, turning on G-Sync with a you know, low-end, you know, adaptive sync monitor and just having it suck and then yes. them saying, hey, G-Sync sucks? Is that what Yeah, that well, also, uh, I'm not happy with this monitor. Now, we're very sensitive about our users and about our customers, so I like to say, if NVIDIA says it's going to work, we're going to make it work one way or another, right? So now, if we, if we, uh, if we kind of blow that out into the channel, it clearly can become uh, unmanageable. So instead of doing that, what we're saying is, hey, you know what? There's this little space here that we can guarantee you that if you have a problem, it's, it's going to come back to us and we're going to fix it and we're going to make it beautiful and you're going to love it. And, and you know, G-Sync has a lot of those kind of technologies that we can control because the, it's not every monitor. So things like windowed mode, you know, people want variable refresh rate in windows. Well, that adds a whole nother world of problems and multi-monitor support and, and just, you know, the complete gamut of frequencies. These types of technologies can't uh, work across every different panel. So because of that, we're kind of saying, you know what, we can afford to do the QA on these panels. We can afford to invest in the driver work and the engineering work, and we give it, we give a great experience. Do you, do you think that we're ever going to get G-Sync panels, not even the, to you guys supporting a, a free sync, but are we going to get G-Sync panels down to where it is super affordable, or the vendors are just going, no, I, I want to make my money because selling a $500 monitor right now. It's a, it's a business question really, Gordon. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, the, uh, I would love for G-Sync to be priced very low, right? Because for, we're not making a, a ton of money on G-Sync. We're, we're enabling a technology and that technology accredits, you know, benefits to our gamers. So we want that price to be as low as possible, but we're working in a channel that is um, profit driven, and the, the, the way it works is effectively, you know, if we're delivering a premium value, then the channel is incented to price it at a premium. And so it, it, over time, they're going to make business decisions. And when I say they, I mean the, the monitor manufacturers and their ODM partners and even retailers are going to make a decision that says, hey, there's an opportunity if we bring this stuff down and, you know, drive the costs down. And over time, I, I totally see that happening. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so if G-Sync is a premium alternative to FreeSync is basically what you're pitching it as, uh, you've already listed a couple of them. Uh, could you talk about some of the feature differences that you have, some of the things that you guys do that FreeSync doesn't? Sure. Well, um, I think you can start way back in the beginning of time and say, we qualify every panel. This is not a monitor. Every panel that an ODM or an OEM, a monitor, like a SUS or Acer or anybody, if they want to use a particular panel, 
that comes into our engineering team at NVIDIA, and they look at it because you know each panel has different decay rates. If you have a refresh rate that's changing, then it means that the luminosity, like the, the brightness of the panel, is going to be changing dynamically. And if that's too much, or if the, if the characteristics as the refresh rate is changing don't look very good, then we're not going to qualify the panel, and we won't have those designs get made that people get disappointed. So the first part is panel qualification, and that includes color, you know, color calibration, all the rest of it. Then after the panel stuff is done, we get all of the monitors in-house. And we do, again, flicker testing. We're looking for decay. We're looking for color calibration. When our guys say this panel is G-Sync, it means that it's, it's a great gaming experience. So the first part is there's an engineering team and a whole back end that makes sure these things are going to work. And that doesn't exist outside of that closed ecosystem. Right? It's not like that's happening through a collection of partners. It's not. Okay, then the, the second thing that happens, obviously, is features. So we do windowed mode on G-Sync. So that means if you're playing League of Legends in a window on desktop, we're doing that entire desktop at the variable refresh rate of the game. And that's an incredibly complex technical thing to do. But we can make it work, again, because we're controlling the, the number of variabilities there. Another technology that we do is a multi-monitor. So if you wanted to have three monitors all doing variable refresh rate technology, again, that, that's, you know, that's not a simple thing to do, um, but it does work on G-Sync. And it's a pretty darn, if you've ever seen it, if you haven't seen it, you should come by. It's pretty crazy, a driving game with, you know, beautiful silky surround. So that's pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, we're also constantly innovating on G-Sync. G-Sync is not done. Okay, we're not we're not finished. G-Sync is is our way of delivering goodness related to the display. And over time, you can expect that that'll be sort of our depository. You know, it'll be it'll be the place that NVIDIA, if we have a new technology that's display related, you know, uh, it's going to head towards that G-Sync repository. Our display engineers are working all the time. They're, you know, back and you know, polishing the transistors and you know, it's, it's going to be good stuff. Is there ever going to be a G-Sync 2? Because I know for a long time, people thought, what are, the modules that are currently used now, everybody thought was going to be called G-Sync 2. comes out like, no, we're still calling it G-Sync. If you guys just settled on doing the Apple, it's an iPad thing, and you don't want to call it 2 or 3 because then people don't want to buy the older G-Sync 1 panels? I don't think it helps. I mean, in, in the G-Sync model... Um, what people expect G-Sync to be is, is effectively a great gaming experience. And calling it one, two, or three, or five doesn't change that. Two is not necessarily better than one. Yeah, but no one wants to buy one when they can buy two. So it helps yeah. sort, sort it out for consumers, I think. Well, I, I think monitors have a much longer um, lifetime in the channel. And so having a one, two, and three existing in parallel simultaneously wouldn't wouldn't help anybody right and you got i'm sure you guys have done research into what's the typical lifespan of a, of a panel for people oh well when people buy a monitor they live with them for a long long time i mean it's like six to ten years yeah yeah so the the panel decision the monitor decision that people are making is a big one it's a really big one so they'll they'll have whatever it is for an awful long time. Yes, if they buy an a free sync or adaptive sync. Yeah, you can of. look at you can look at uh, the Steam data and you can see by far, no matter what game you're playing, the the most common resolution is 19 by 10, 60 hertz, right. right? And then depending on the game, you'll see the next most common resolution are the smaller monitors, not the big monitors. These are monitors that haven't been manufactured for six years, right? Right. So um, monitors move forward through the ecosystem very, very, very slowly. Do you, can you say how many people actually are running G-Sync mode enabled? 
Um, I mean, I, that's yeah. a tough. Uh, it's a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. It's not. It's not a number I have off the top of my head, unfortunately. But I, I can. I can look at our G Sync module sales, and they're robust. And I can look at the monitor sales, and they're robust. And and people turn this on. You know, you don't get G Sync by accident. Right. Well, and, you got to yeah, look for it. You got to look for it, and you gotta. You gotta want it because you're going to pay a premium for it. I, I just wonder if it's like one third of. Uh, uh, GeForce users, or uh, I honestly I don't no. know. I, I can I can tell you when I looked at monitor distributions over GPUs, you can definitely see that our high end GPUs get attached to higher resolution monitors, which makes sense. And as you go further down the stack, you can see monitor attachment kind of drifts to lower resolutions, which also kind of makes sense. And I, I suspect you'll see the same thing with G Sync, where G Sync tends to be most attached to people that care most passionately about gaming. And that tends to, you know, kind of flow down our stack. Um, and, and last question I have is, are, are we going to see anything crazy because of OLEDs? I mean, OLEDs are still super expensive, <laughs> super expensive, right? It's like, you know, four grand for yeah. a panel. But as they come down, can we do crazy things with adaptive sync and an OLED panel or kind of, are you guys looking at that? Oh, I'm yeah. sure you are. Well, I mean, all panel technology. Tell us all the secrets now. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that, well, I uh, don't want to say anything secret. But um, what I'll tell you two technologies I am super excited about. First, super high resolution or super high refresh rate panels are coming. And right now we have 180 hertz refresh rate uh, G-Sync panel for gaming. And if you haven't seen these things, they're, they're like buttery, silky, like uh, old CRT kind of experiences. So as super high refresh rates become more and more common, you're going to see even more exciting uh, products using G-Sync. By the way, G-Sync is the way that we delivered or the, the, the ecosystem delivered that because standard scalers don't go that fast. So by NVIDIA investing in the core technology of a G-Sync module, it's gaming oriented, right? It's for gaming. And, and since it's for gaming, it supports all of these other features that a normal scaler manufacturer wouldn't really care about. Um, so I th I'm very excited about super high refresh rates for gaming. I'm also excited about super high resolution and HDR. So if you think about HDR and gaming, it's at the very, very beginning of time. But you, when you see an HDR game compared it to a, a regular game, they are significantly better. And games are particularly good for HDR because they generate the content dynamically mostly. And when you're generating uh, dynamic content, you can get the right, you know, gamuts and the right, you know, uh, chroma. So it's very cool. Yeah, so can people really tell? I think I mean, HDR looks oh. better than 4K. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the weird thing now is like, do you do... 4K G-Sync versus, I, I would rather do 1440 with uh, 165, frankly. So uh, You know, that's what I love about our model is that there's lots of variability and there's lots of availability of the key resolutions and the key, you know, differentiated products. Um, so, yeah, you don't have to make that choice. I actually go, right now I'm running um, a 34 by 14 Predator, which is freaking crazy good, and I'm running it right next to an Asus 25 by 14. And that's, you know, that's wow. like my perfect, you know, I love it. How do you play on that? Do you <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a special driver, believe it or not. Oh. And, yeah, and if you think about it, with, with two monitors, you kind of don't want the bezel in the middle. Right. So having a 34 by 14 and a 25 by 14 puts the bezel to the left. So you have two curved <laughs> panels. I mean, it's like this wide, right? That's it, your whole peripheral yeah, vision. It, it, it's, more like, it's more like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
<laughs> Come by my house. Are we going to get the special driver to the public? What is it? What can you talk about the special driver? <laughs> well, there, you know, right now you can configure surround for non-integers, right? You can do two, you can do three, and so uh, I think pretty much anybody could do this right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do have a special driver though. Special yeah. driver. So that's that's good to be you. So. Uh, I'm actually, I want to move on another topic because I don't want, I don't want to eat all this up on G. Sure. You know, it's a great topic. Unless Brad, did you have do a question? Have, do we have reader questions, viewer oh, questions? As any well? G. Uh, G. I just have a general. Uh, I have a general just point of interest question. Was the genesis of G Sync in any way tied to the difficulty of driving 4K displays at 60 frames per second? Oh my gosh! Um, I can tell you. Well, that's a great question, Brad. So the the genesis of G Sync actually goes back years and years and years. And I remember the moment because every year uh, Nvidia has a senior uh, meeting where all of us get together and we talk about what's going on. It's very open. It's very, you know, um, the leaders of the company coming together to figure out what's going to happen. What should we focus on next? And this was right around the time. I don't remember how. It's maybe four years ago. Maybe even five years ago. Bad Company 2 was out. That was the big game. And we had been running it um, down in our demo lab. And Jensen had gone down there and looked at it. And we had, you know, three-way SLI. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, multi-monitor. And he was looking at it going, the frame rate's fantastic. But the experience we were delivering was not fantastic. It was stuttering. And it was looking kind of, you know, less than awesome. And so I was on stage talking to the group about our, our, G, our G4 stuff. And then Jensen um, asked me, you know, are you proud of that bad company stuff in the demo room. And I, I realized right away that we had not been focusing on delivering an experience. We had been focusing on this benchmarking frame rate stuff. And so once we started, we started meeting on it every week, every week, every week. And eventually we came to the realization that monitors are working all wrong. And it came from, you know, the recognition from Jensen that's, that he said, you know, hey, why is it stuttering? It's a great question. Why is it stuttering? Well, it's stuttering because it has to have a fixed refresh rate. Well, why does it have to have a fixed refresh rate? Well, that's, you know, it goes back to wagon wheels and it goes back to, you know, <laughs> TVs and, you know, why does it have a fixed refresh rate? And, and it's that challenging of the, of the, of sort of the basis, challenging of, of why does it work the way it works? And that, that's what we do. And that's, that's where G-Sync came from. It came from trying to solve this problem where NVIDIA was, was dissatisfied with the experiencing that we were delivering. And I'm pretty excited Thank about how it's Thank you, bad company. Out. Yeah. <laughs> or or three-way SLI, right? <laughs> Which actually, that's, that's a perfect segue, because that, that is a, a topic near and dear to me, because, you know, with 1080, uh, pretty much you guys said no more. No more tri-SLI, no more four-way SLI, quad SLI. Yep. I mean, all that stuff. So people don't know, you know, back in the good old days of 680, 980, you could run four cards. Yep. Um, and that, that's all gone with, with 1080. And that kills me because I love great big gaming PCs, right? You get, you get a great, I great. I, there's a Falcon Northwest box here. It's got two Titan X Pascals in it. I know. That's, the, that's all the performance you're ever going to see out of a desktop yeah. now. You got these great big, it's like having a, a great big muscle car. You open it up and there's a four cylinder engine I know. and all the space. What's up with no more? Is it, Are we just never going to see four way or three way SLI? Um, so. I, I share your I share your feeling because I'm a I'm a musclehead car guy too and I want to build those big rigs and we want to we want to help people big, build those big rigs but on the other hand I don't want gamers to be disappointed with what they buy so our decision is not a technical decision we can certainly enable three and four way and and we could do the QA that we've done in the past but honestly for a normal gamer the experience of three way and four way has not been great for some time 
Right. Yeah. And and so our challenge was, and, and this is again thinking of our, our customers first, even though NVIDIA benefits from selling three and four way, do we really want this to be an expected good experience because it's incredibly de- technically difficult to provide. And the reason it's so hard is because it relies on games to behave a particular way. We use a technology called AFR, and AFR stands for alternate frame rendering. And the idea is that one GPU renders the first frame, the second one renders the third frame, and the fourth and the fifth go on the subsequent GPUs, right? When you're doing that, the frames have to be truly independent of each other. That means that the first frame has to be, the second frame can't depend on the result from the first frame. And that was the way it was with DX9 and and before that. These frames really got rendered and they didn't communicate to each other. But with modern games, they're doing things like blurs and they're doing depth of field and they're doing smoke effects and these, the rendered frames from one uh, frame are feeding into the results used in the next frame. These are post-processing effects, right? And when that happens, it gets about impossible to deliver alternate frame rendering because the second one doesn't start until the first one's finished, so we haven't done anything. Um, And that's why it's so very, very difficult. Um, And DX12 has made that even more complex. So um, our strategy's pretty simple. Let's focus on what we can deliver today and do a great job at it. And that's two-way. We can, we can do the work with our dev tech team. They go out, they work with developers, and they say, hey, you know, we want to do SLI, but you're using the, this texture, and you're using it in your subsequent frame, and that's killing scaling. So we need to find a way to work around that. And that's what our dev tech team does working on SLI. The second thing that's happened is DX12 has, has dramatically changed the software paradigm. Um, and going forward, there's a new thing called explicit multi-GPU, where the developer now can access multiple GPUs or multiple cards, and they can write whatever algorithms they want. Now, in that mode, with explicit multi-GPU, we support however many GPUs the developer wants to run. So it's not entirely true that um, three- and four-way systems are not supported. Whatever the extent of multi-GPU supported by a game is supported. But the truth is that NVIDIA kind of automatically doing multi-GPU scaling, that's SLI, and that is today limited to two. Now, it's limited to two because we can't get the games to do reliably more than two. It's not because we don't want it. We do want it. <laughs> it's just that the experience delivered by the entire you know, PC gaming ecosystem is not great beyond two. Is it something that could be fixed in DirectX 13 or It's definitely something, I, I can tell you, um, it is a technology that's near and dear to my heart. I am directly looking at SLI every day. And we just need innovation. Right? There's no reason why multi-GPU has to be two. And what we need is innovation that's going to allow us to break beyond two, break beyond four, break beyond six. Because honestly, when you look at multi-GPU, it looks like many multi-GPUs already on a single card. Right? Right. A single card is just multiple SMs. So why is not multiple cards multiple SMs? It's, it, it's got a lot to do with bandwidth. It's got a lot to do with connectivity. But over time, hopefully that can get fixed. And if that happens, then man, I'm back. I'm building my hot rod. I'm, uh, you know, and even today, with help from developers and help from you know the ecosystem, we can build games that are multi GPU friendly. And if that happens, of course, we're like, hey, you know, more GPUs in there, it's great. Right, but I mean, it just seems like they're everybody's like, yeah, okay, no one's going to bother to do it because you guys aren't supporting it. No, right? no, no. I we, mean, we well, are. We are. Great. Yeah, I mean, you the, are. But the very important thing is that we, NVIDIA, are qualifying multi GPU 
up to whatever way you can fit in a PC. The problem is the software work to do explicit multi-GPU, no matter what your technology, that's a lot of work for a game developer that's got you know cost pressure and timing pressure. And there's only so much that NVIDIA can do to make that happen for a game developer. So when I say we need innovation, we need innovation that's gonna make multi-GPU game coding in the DX12 and beyond future easier. And um, you know that's obviously, hope, hopefully, you know, that's where we're going. Do you think explicit multi-GPU is the future then and not in the cool thing is to be able to run an AMD part and an NVIDIA part. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something you guys think is going to, people are going to do? Or is it <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are going to do AMD plus NVIDIA just because it's sort of like, I don't smoke a Winston and a camel that, you know, you just, you just don't, <laughs> I don't smoke at all in case it comes up. But, <laughs> uh, but back to the question, I think, um, explicit multi GPU is, um, you know, it's putting more control in the hands of the people that are closest to the problem, which is the game developer. Right. But what we're finding is that it's a really hard problem and it's, it's a, it's, it needs help. And, okay. and if there's a way for NVIDIA to help it, we're going to do that. So it's a cool tech demo, clearly, at this point, mostly. <laughs> I think explicit multi-GPU is just, it's, it's it, just like all other DX12. It's, it's in its very baby days. And I, I expect that that's going to get better and better and better. Multi-GPU, explicit multi-GPU, where you're taking you know, three or four GPUs, it doesn't matter. It's going to get better and better and better. And um, it's also a critical technology that we want to make better and better and better. So we're hopefully going to get in there and try to do some stuff. I mean, uh, just to sort of close out the, the SLI question, unless Brad's got something. Brad's on a little bit of delay, so I want to give him a chance to get a question. <laughs> and Brad, do you have any questions I, you want to poke at us? I actually have a question about SLI, about the decision to stop supporting it in the more affordable models, the 1060 and the... Because uh, you're mean. <laughs> because like, if you look back to last gen, like the 960 had SLI. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering yeah. uh, mm -hmm. what the rationale there was. Wow. Mm -hmm. Hold on, Brad. Mm -hmm. Let me get a drink of water there. <gasps> <laughs> Now, Sir, excellent, these excellent. cards are selling great. What if we limit them? We'll sell more 1060 cards. Excellent question. Well, um, first of all, as you probably are aware, we get really good data about who uses what. And what we found is, and not surprisingly, um, multi-GPU is not used in the 60 class. It, it, it's there, and it was there for many years, but but in in most of our systems, it never gets used. And it's not because it couldn't be done. It's just that you know it costs money, it costs QA, and it raises the cost of that product if we have it. So every little feature inside of every product has a cost. And if we can say, hey, we've looked at the data from 960, you know, it's a rounding error. And so we'll make our products more affordable, more optimized by removing it. And that's what we did. It's not because we don't like it. It's just, it's redundant. Um, if you're worried about us trying to manipulate the market by reducing the, um, taking two 1060s to get a 1070, that, that's not it at all. Because we already know that nobody does that. Yep. So, so we wouldn't do it to affect our finances. It's only because we can optimize the cost structure of the product. So even like, cause I, you know, the, the whole special deal about SLI for a lot of people is like, I buy, you know, one 970 today yep. in three years, I buy one from on eBay yes. for, you know, $82 and that's everybody's fantasy. And are you saying nobody ever does that? Almost nobody, almost nobody. And, and it's not, it's not nobody. It's just right. almost no. <laughs> it is, in fact, a rounding error. And, oh, by the way, almost nobody builds an SLI system later. 
Yeah. Right? Because you can look at um, GPUs and are they basically the same GPU? They buy the same brand, they buy the same time, and they build it with a current CPU. So it's really wild when you really look at the data. Almost nobody um, buys a takes an old system and puts new SLI into it. Um, what most people do is they buy a new system and they put SLI into it and it's just built once. Right. Interesting. Because, I mean, you know, that's always what everybody else talks about, right? Because, mm-hmm. oh, you can... And it's a, every time you ask an up GP upgrade question, I have a 970 card. Should I buy a second 970 yes. or should I get a 1070, right? It, it is a really tough question. And, and, but, you know, there's, there is a little bit of logic here, right? Upgrade cycles for enthusiasts, like people at the very high end market, it's, it's somewhere, and you can look at Steam to get the same data, somewhere between two and three years. People that are really passionate about gaming, they're going to basically say, I got to get, you know, this. 25 by 14, this new game, I can't run it, I'm going to, boom, upgrade. And um, as you go further down the stack, it's more price sensitive, and it upgrades at a, a slower rate. So it's not two to three, it's maybe three to four years. And when you're upgrading three to four, there's a huge jump in performance by going to the new generation. So that's why the guy who's three or four years ago got a, got a, a 460, and his choice is, do I go to eBay and buy another 460, or do I get a 960 or a 1060? That's an easy decision for most people, right? right. That's, why it, that's really why it never happens. Yeah. The decision to buy the second card further down the stack happens much later. Although I'm, I'm going to say the upgrade potential it's, we go all the way back to coprocessors and like, hey, there's an over whatever. I, remember Intel? Yes, that? Like, yes. you to, I'm sure they sold five of those <laughs> out of the, the hundreds of millions of computers. Intel, if, did you sell five of those? Yeah. <laughs> if you're a consumer though, and, and you're looking at a new build, it's like, man, I'm going to be building at at the $150 price point. So I'm going to do a 470 or you know, or 1050 card. Whoa. 470 or 460, I can run two 460, 470s. Mm-hmm. In uh, two years, I'll buy one on eBay. Yep. Are you going to lose sales? Because Certainly possible. As much as people don't do it, they all <laughs> think they're going to do it. Maybe they do. And you know what? Um, we're all about, we're going to try to optimize things, and we're going to try to you know, make this product as good as we can, and then we'll look at the data. And if it turns out that we, you know, we shot our foot off because we made this decision, okay. we'll change it next time. But I, I honestly, our products in that price point, 1050, as you know, is an amazing product. 1050 Ti is an amazing product. 1060, 10, I mean, we're just... Wow, you guys yeah. make amazing products. <laughs> yeah. So you can't Tom go Peterson's wrong. Upgrade. Says amazing, <laughs> breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. news. Tom yes. Peterson thinks NVIDIA products are great. <laughs> <laughs> we better put that out on Twitter. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so uh, my, my final SLI question is uh, related to the old PCI Express question. So you mentioned bandwidth. Ooh. You guys have, you know, of course, all these new super high-end bridges, yes. high-bandwidth bridge. You tried that, right? You, you did I that? Did, yeah, yeah, it, did. it works, like, right? It was not made up. It did really work, <laughs> which is amazing, right? Because uh, everybody's no so cynical. Everybody's like, man, this thing is like, okay, it worked. I mean, it really... But my question is, so we're on PCI 3, and I talked to the PCI SIG, and they're like, you know, back way back when, PCI, PCI 2.0, the GPU guys were like all over us. You got to keep moving PC... And they're like... The video, the GPU guys, like, they don't even care about PCIe 4, PCIe 5. Oh, no. Oh, really? Because yeah. that's, that's the impression I got from well, PCIe 6. You know, like, I, I love those guys. I'm sure they're all very, very smart, and they're working very hard. But, you know, you should talk to the GPU guys when you want to know what the GPU okay. guys think. All right. Yeah. And we, we, think, <laughs> we think that PCIe is great, and it's going to continue to be great. And more bandwidth is always better. 
And uh, obviously, we've always been at the forefront of new PCI Express standards. And as things change, we're always one of the very, very first to adopt. And we have very deep partnerships with the guys that are making the hosts. So CPU guys are like right with us as we're bringing up new GPUs for the purpose of accelerating, you know, new interfaces. Sure. I don't think it's true that we don't care. Okay. So that... PCIe 4, which I think is on schedule for 2017. I don't you know. You guys are... I don't know. I, well, I mean, PCI 6, <laughs> guys. So you guys actually look forward to getting to PCI 4. Of course. You do care. You yeah. want more bandwidth. Yeah. Okay. Bandwidth is great. I mean, um, our goal is to deliver the best gaming experience that we can. And that means we're going to keep pushing GPUs forward. We're going to keep pushing CPU interfaces forward. And we're all going to be better for it. Okay. So it does matter. Oh, God, yes. Okay. Now, there is a whole... Do you have question. a rough idea? A rough oh, idea sorry. for PCIe Delay. 4? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, do you have a rough idea, uh, like how many, how much percentage of gamers actually use multi-GPU systems? Oh, multi-GPU. Well, again, it depends on the segment. So obviously mm-hmm. what's really fascinating to me is when you have a very fast GPU like Titan X, a lot of those people have two of them. Shocking, right? Yeah, and, they can and, afford one. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. get two. And then, Here's yeah, Mac American <laughs> Express Just Black a bundle deal. And, then, and then if you have a, a 1080... A lot of people, I, I mean, a like more than a few percent, it's like a lot of percent, have two of them, which is kind of counterintuitive, except for the fact that you'll find, you know, just like everything else, there's price segments that are price sensitive and there's price segments that are not. And so the SLI, it turns out, is in a segment that's generally price insensitive. Makes sense. It's yeah, cool. Enthusiast, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, enthusiast class hardware. We have so. a comment on uh, on Facebook from Mark saying, yeah, he, he has two... Uh, 1080s um, God bless you, with a God bless 3440 you. 14 uh, 40 G-Sync panels. Call so. me. Call me. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Two G-Sync panels? No, no, no. Just one. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. That would be cool, though. I, I really would like some pictures of somebody that's doing the two-way surround with the asymmetric one. That would be very yeah, cool. Yeah, I got to try that That'd one these days. Cool. Except I have a FreeSync monitor, so no, oh, I don't even Gordon. have a FreeSync monitor. Gordon. I am not, I have not even upgraded my... I should Jesus. do something yet. The ultimate troll. You're right in there with the, like, I don't upgrade my monitor, right? I'm still using... I have a CRT in my basement. I'm going to break out. <laughs> he so really do you really? He really yeah. does. Yeah, oh I saved God. it. And I, I was like, I'm going to use this one day. Do you know what we just really finally dropped? No. What? VGA. No, what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Because it... Right. 10 Series killed it, right? Yeah. It's gone. What the hell? How am I going to run that thing? Yeah, wow. Sorry, buddy. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to buy like, like a, USB, USB adapter. a USB two. Because <laughs> I, I yeah. every time I always threaten everybody. Everyone's like, "Yeah, you don't remember what it looked like with low latency." I'm going to bring in my CRT because yep. we're just so used to the slop we get out of LCDs, where it's just I got to tell you, accept it as being. Oh like, no. no, it's getting much better. Okay. It, good. And you know, we've done some new technologies for latency, as you're probably aware of. We did something called FastSync in the last generation yep. at, at Pascal. You got to hear about that at the editor's day. And what Fast, FastSync does is it says, you know, now I've got GPUs that are running really, really fast. So I can render many times for even the fastest monitor. I can run 300, 400 frames per second when I'm running Counter-Strike or whatever your esports title is. So why don't we go ahead and run that fast, and then we'll pick the lowest latency frame. And what that allows us to do is have no tearing, so it's beautifully no tearing, even at very, very high render rates, um, but the latency is almost the same as VSync off. Hmm. So it's a nice, you know, it's kind of an example of, hey, we're always looking for these ways to, to make gaming better, and we're always going to try funky stuff. So right now we're getting a lot of feedback from, on FastSync. You can turn it on our control panel. And eSports gamers are loving right. it. Right, okay. So by the way, eSports. It kicks yeah. ass. You tried it? I love it. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, it definitely. It kicks ass. Nice. Brad is working on his esports career, I guess. 
<laughs> playing at 300 <laughs> frames a second. Plan, right? You gotta. Oh my god, that would be good. <laughs> those, yeah, esports. True, those true cyber athletes, like yeah, they're yeah, they're serious. Oh, they're, you they know what? Do you, do you know that we have an esports uh, training lab at Nvidia? So we actually invite different uh, teams to come by when they're getting ready for the big Dota tournaments and stuff or the league tournaments. They'll come into our training center. It's got you know five on one side, five on the other side, and they spar. And we're watching them, and they're giving us feedback, and it's just a great immersive you know esports thing. Nice. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got a, a cool question from Facebook uh, from Brian. He says, uh, "Is there going to be a f- to be future upgrades to PCIe that will render SLI useless?" Wow, PCIe five, right? They're working on that. They haven't even got four out. Five is already on there. Wow. Well, um, let me uh, go. First of all, thank you for the question, Brian. Brian, thank you. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the way to think about SLI is it's adding more GPU horsepower. And that's kind of required independent of the bandwidth that's connecting those together. So I don't think PCIe 4 or PCIe 5 is going to make SLI less valuable. In contrast, I actually think it's going to make it easier to get better scaling. And you're going to want, you know, those higher performance levels. Maybe. We'll see. And also, they're selling these uh, high bandwidth bridges for forty five bucks a piece. So. Yeah, you know the, the high bandwidth bridge is actually really cool. It, it works. You can, it does you know, work. I confirmed it works. You get a better experience, and this has come up a couple times. Why do you guys keep having these bridges? And my answer is that we have the bridge because we can deliver a better experience. Yeah, but how about better but free experience? Is, <laughs> would be the. Do you really think we're making any money on a forty five dollar bridge? It's, it's uh, basically zero impact. Yeah, right? I and the, know. the reason that we're doing it is because we, we have enthusiast gamers that, that we're trying to help get the best experience they can. So that's, you know. You say that, but it's like. the people who use it are, again, in the price yeah. sensitive segment. Yeah, and they're about, loving it, so. right? Everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, worked, it does work. It yeah, does, I, 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 I tested it. And it looks cool. It's got a little sort of angle on it. But you say that. <laughs> but let me ask you. It would be like saying, do you think Apple makes money off of dongles? Yeah. yeah. They probably make like $5 billion <laughs> off of dongles. Uh, I don't know about that. They're not building that giant building off of dongles. I'll yeah, tell you that right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I? Oh. Uh, gosh, so I I do want to talk about the future of PC gaming because we promised that as a topic. But right. before we get there, another thing that just just kills me because every time I've been doing this, Brad, I'm in, I'm going to see the reaction. It's from Brad, but probably Adam too. You go to like, okay, I just do this new build. <laughs> I'm installed GeForce Experience. Hey, it's, it's an upgrade for GeForce Experience. Log in. I don't know what my login is. Oh. I don't know. And it's just oh. sort of like, can't we just not? Isn't there like a skip? I mean, what? Oh, don't log in. Are you guys like using? I know you say you make no money off those those bridges, but man, what do you guys? Can, can't we just use GeForce Experience for free or without wow. giving you the? Yeah, that, I mean that I get that a lot. Yeah. I, I'd first like to give a big plug for if you haven't tried GeForce Experience, download it because it is a pretty cool app. It is right? awesome, and and it it is very fast. It's very zippy. We have a new version of it out. It's called GFE or GeForce Experience three point Yes, and, which records it along. Uh, first of all, the guys working. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. The guys who have been working on it have just been tireless. I mean, t- this has been a massive, massive effort, and the and the thing works like a champ right now. And you get the features of things like, you know, shadow play, and you can do you know streaming and you can do straight to twitch and straight to youtube whatever you want and it is just a great tool and then you can one click and optimize your games it's you know it's kind of a no-brainer now why is there a password why is there a login well obviously we are trying to connect more intimately with our gamers and over time deliver more services and deliver more value to directly to them so things like giving away game codes and, and giving away you know 
instant win things. And wait, so wait, there's a loot crate thing when you log in with GeForce. Yeah. You should like there <laughs> are. So oh, basically, code. the way yeah, basically the way it works is if you if you want to participate with us, there's prizing and there's giveaways and there's social stuff, and I'm excited about it, right? Because what Nvidia gets about out of this is to have a more uh, intimate and close relationship with our gamers, which is hugely important to us. Right. And what gamers get out of it is not just all the features of GeForce Experience, but they get the giveaways and they get to give us feedback and it's it's definitely an option. You can go get our driver elsewhere if you don't want to play sure. with us. Yeah. But who wouldn't? I mean, come on. It no, ain't that bad. I, I hear you. It's just like... <laughs> when you log into Facebook, what do you have to do? You got to type a password. Yeah, but you know, it's just... I mean, you know, he's like, well, you can't use the same password. You can't just use password five for this one. Uh, so by the way, have... you can use, I think, and, and uh, Travis, you need to correct me, but I think you can use your Facebook or your uh, Google. Yeah, you can. You can do in, it, right? So you don't really need to create new stuff. You can just say, "Hey, you know, use my Facebook stuff or use my use my Google." There's stuff. just that resistance, you know. And I I've heard this from people. It's like, where can I download GeForce Experience too? Because I don't want to log in. Totally fine. So, but I think it's out there. Yeah, it's, is it still not? I have, still I, I have a question since we're on Sir. the tangent. Yes, Brad. Um, you, were, you mentioned drivers uh, when they originally announced plans to have these passwords, these required passwords. Um, the idea was eventually all game-ready drivers would be locked to GeForce Experience, and you'd have to sign in and get these GameForce uh, mm-hmm. game-ready drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, or were those kind of put on the back burner, or is it still in the plans for the future? What's I, I would say, there? you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, I, gotta, I, I don't want to misspeak on this. I don't know exactly what the plan is there, but it kind of makes sense. GeForce Experience is running all the time, and when a new driver gets posted, if you're a gamer, you want it right away, and that's, that's a push model, right, where we can... Uh, you know, our servers get informed that you have an old old driver on your system and we can automatically download it. Now, I, I don't think we want to, you know, make our gamers less happy by turning that off elsewhere if you want to go back and get it the old way. But again, I, I don't want to say policy on that because I don't actually know what the policy is right now. So I apologize. I'm going to have to kind of take a, eh, I don't know. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I think it's available on the web, though, if I had to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they still just, are. They still are. Yeah. Yep. Just trying to think of the feedback, what the feedback will be on like that on Reddit <sighs> slash GeForce. Uh, you know, that. whenever we do anything that's not 100% customer first, we get a lot of feedback. And okay. I, I think we're getting better and better and better at it. But you, know? you have to log into GeForce Experience 3 to give them the feedback. So that's No. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just Reddit it. We watch Reddit. We watch YouTube. We watch everything. I know. Just so, kidding. Yeah. Thanks, brother. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I so I, because I, I definitely want to talk about PC gaming because I okay. talk about the future of PC gaming. Um, what, because everybody's like looking at DX12 like it's going to be the promised land. What yeah. is the most coolest feature you've seen on DX12 so far? Huh. Well, you know, again, um, DX12's in very, very early days. And the, the hope is that you can um, eventually build applications that have lower uh, CPU requirements so that you can build more cost-effective uh, PCs. I don't think Intel's going to say that, but the truth is that you know, DX12 has less CPU-intensive um, paths, right? So the hope of DX12 was to get gaming performance up. So far, actually, we haven't really seen a lot of benefit um, um, in terms of GPU performance with DX12. But it's just like when we converted from DX9 to DX10 and DX10 to DX11, 
it takes a while for the apps to decide what's the specific coding style they're going to use. And then we on the driver side are responding to what we see in applications and we're tuning and we're tweaking and we're making it faster and faster and faster. So, so far there's not like one thing that I go, Oh my God, that's amazing. So far it's all about learning and understanding the patterns that game developers are using. And then um, our performance team and our driver team is I mean, laser focused. That's why we have game ready drivers right now. Uh, And we always will. It's because every game does something different and there's no, you know, total standard way of doing DX 12 and everybody's got slightly different patterns and we need to do work in our driver to make each one of those games as good as could possibly be. But I'd say over the next two or three years, that, that, that learning process is going to kind of settle down and then you're going to start seeing more and more benefit um, from the hardware and also from the software stack. So unfortunately I don't have like, Oh my God, DX 12 does this widget and it's amazing because it's not that way right now. It's mostly about improving the experiences and performance. When do you think we're going to see the first true DX12 ground up games? I mean, that's probably 24, 36 months away, right? I mean, honestly, I can't even, I can't even predict, you know, I, I would be hesitant if I were a game developer to do a DX12 only game and people are doing it. I mean, there are some DX12 only games, but still most games come out with a DX11 path and a DX12 path and, you know, making both of those work at the same time, they're kind of different. And uh, I'm not surprised it's a little chaotic right now, but what I can tell uh, everybody that's watching and, and you is that we are focused on this like a laser and our DX12 performance is getting better and better and better. And it's, it's only because we can invest in the driver team and invest in the performance analysis to make sure that we're, we're world-class and we are. I'm going to, I'm going to wait a second because Brad is on delay. Give him a second. If you have a question, <laughs> but wait, tough. What do you I think, think Brad, I think, you know, the elephant in the room with the X 12 is the performance of some AMD Radeon cards versus performance with NVIDIA, you know, yeah. cards. I was going to ask that comparing too, DX 11 yeah. performance gain to DX 12 performance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I mean, why is there in some games, you know, a massive leap in Radeon cards, but a more modest leap in Pascal cards. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it, it, it's very early days on that stuff. And um, I would say that when you're looking at a performance change, like going from DX11 to DX12, your problem can either be a DX11 problem or a DX12 benefit. And I don't know enough about AMD to know that they have a DX11 problem, but I, I would say that um, our DX11 to DX12 performance is early, early days. And as we improve our driver and improve our performance technology, it's the scaling, I think, is going to dramatically improve, or at least significantly improve. On the AMD side, I would actually say the base is starting from a driver that wasn't well-optimized. That's my claim. And uh, if that's the case, um, that's why they're probably seeing a little bit better, better scaling. Um, what about Vulkan support? Well, Vulkan is a, is a new API, and we're going to support it for sure. Um, you know, we're obviously part of that group. And uh, Vulkan is going to, again, early, early days, and it's going to continue to get better. And, um, but I, I think that the, the world of Vulkan is going to be relatively small compared to the world of DX. And um, obviously, that means that um, there's going to be fewer and fewer titles that are driving these um, changes and improvements. Hmm. Sorry. Yeah. What do, you think? what do you think I'm of Vulkan? What do you guys think of Vulkan right now? I'm sorry, Brad. Brad, what do you think of Vulcan? Vulcan? It's way too early to tell. I mean, it was in Doom, and it was in the Talos Principle, and you should play both of those games, but the Vulcan implementation has been incredibly hit and miss. Yeah, it's definitely early, early days, and that's why I I see a lot of questions about Vulcan. I see a lot of questions about DX12. 
I would say both of those early, early days. And um, I wouldn't make any, any, you know, solid conclusions right now. Let's wait a little bit. Let's get some more games, get some more driver improvements, get some more GPU improvements, and then let's make a call. Uh, Brad, you had a question that was stumped on. Go. Aside from the Microsoft games, uh, most of the DirectX 12 implementations we see coming out are added after the fact in a patch, even still. They're not coming out day one, so it's incredibly early, I think. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, Brad, you had a question earlier. I think we stomped on it, but oh, you're you're good? (laughs) Yes. Sorry, this delay (laughs) is killing me. I want to talk about... uh, Multi-resolution scaling, because that just popped up for the first time in Shadow Warrior 2. And I saw that, originally you showed it to me, uh, with virtual reality. The idea is that basically the edges of the screen at a lower rate to improve frame rate. And I was wondering, this is the first time it showed up in the traditional PC game. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, Well, uh, just a little bit more about the technology. Uh, We call it MRS, and it's uh, multi-resolution scaling, or multi-resolution yeah, scaling. So the idea is that um, you can you can create multiple viewports in one um, sort of projection. You can create multiple viewports, and each of those viewports can have different characteristics like orientation, um, dimensions, and also resolution. And so by when we do the projection through those multiple viewports, we get multiple resolutions that have different sample density, and that gives you different performance characteristics. And so we did that uh, originally on Maxwell, and uh, this game is taking advantage of it because the truth is if you do the center um, kind of in a fixed position and then have lower resolution around the edge when you have a first-person perspective, it is a dramatically better experience for very, very little visual quality um, reduction in the periphery, which is not where you're looking in a first-person shooter, right? You're looking where your gun's pointing and the rest is kind of moving. So that's a really nice trade-off, and I think you're going to see more games like that. But what I'm excited about, i got to tell you, is on Pascal, because we took MRS and blew it up, right? We really took the technology and went to the next generation. We invented something called LMS and SMP. So a couple more acronyms, right? So LMS is like MRS. It stands for lens match shading. And what we're doing with LMS is we're now taking the same technology, which is dividing up the projection into multiple chunks. And then we're twisting the projections in the projection space to generate not just multiple resolutions, but now actually different shapes uh, and different densities that are changing within each shape. And that means that we can get sampling to match a VR headset. And so by matching a VR headset, we get like um, effectively better performance for VR um, just using this little hardware widget inside of Pascal. And we use the same technology to do perspective correction for surround. So if you imagine the problem with perspective with surround is you've got these wings and everybody bends the wings in, but the game doesn't know anything about bent wings. So when you look at the side, they're all distorted. They're too close to your head. Um, so with um, SMP, with um, you know, multi-monitor perspective correction, we actually fix that by modifying the projection using the same hardware mm-hmm. widget. So I'm very excited about MRS, and you're going to see that coming out in more first-person games for desktop. It's also, by the way, Brad, coming out in VR. So VR games are starting to use more and more MRS because it's, you know, it's a perfect match. And the next generation of MRS is um, going to be coming into the market very soon with LMS for VR. And I would hopefully see it also very soon for um, perspective correct surround. So it's very cool. Is, uh, how, when you're using it in desktop games, uh, 
how much can you reduce the resolution at the edges before you start to see a noticeable difference? Because I was testing Shadow Warrior 2. Mm -hmm. I noticed that when it's uh, rendered at 60%, mm -hmm. you know, you got a big frame rate increase and you really couldn't notice it while you were playing, even the fast-paced game. But mm -hmm. when you uh, hopped it up to the aggressive setting so that it's rendering at 40% resolution, you really started to notice the pixels. It looked like a water painting almost at the edges. Yeah. Uh, so I was wondering, you know, what, what sort of performance to visual impact do you expect to see in a lot of games there yeah i think it's going to be similar again it's going to depend a lot on the game if the game has a lot of high-res textures in the edge um, then you're going to see sort of texture popping as you go to lower resolution because you're you're moving the mouse around and then you're kind of subsampling the texture and that creates a lot of sparkles and popping so some games are going to behave better and some games are going to behave worse. I haven't seen a lot of difference at the 60% kind of compression setting. Um, 40, nobody can see 40, um, you know, and I would say somewhere between 40 and 60 is going to be where people sort of settle. Also, you can change the size of these viewports. So depending on, you know, your type of game and your focus, you might make the center very small and then make the edges a little less compressed, right? So it's, 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 it's a whole new world of tuning that people are just going to start playing with. What do you think? Cool. Have you tried it? Is there a chance that that could ever be in the control panel? Or is that always going to have to be game? I, I think it could. I think it could end up in the control panel someday. But um, right now, it's game oriented. Um, you know, the control panel is kind of a dumping ground for everything that we ever invent goes in the control panel, and it's 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 unfortunate because I don't think a lot of users can can get in there and do much. Um, so that whole model of stick it in the control panel and some people will use it. I think we need to blow that up as well and and think about how can we make this a little bit more accessible to general people um and yeah so mrs and lms and you know perspectives around um i can easily see how it, it would want to be user controlled but i'm not sure i would just stick it in the control panel i want to see if there's a better way to do it sorry this delay brad <laughs> yes we, we, we're having a delay getting to brad in the east coast because i don't know the packets are slow Who knows? it's the internet <clears throat> it's the internet so uh <laughs> As far as like, so the future of PC gaming, a couple topics I want to get into are form factors. You know, there've been, we've been seeing all these laptops, you know, they're, they have external Thunderbolt 3. Do you guys sort of see a future where people are not really running a desktop computer and we move to simply mobile with external GPUs? You know, it's really hard to say, but let's start off with say, where are we right now? Right. And, and Pascal, again, I, I got to put a plug in for Pascal. <laughs> really power efficient. Why aren't you wearing a yeah. green Pascal, no, Nobody's heard of it. It's, it's <laughs> small technology. Yeah, so it's amazingly power efficient, right? That means you get great performance with a very low power envelope, which has completely redone laptops. Yeah. Now we're actually taking exactly the same GPU that we use for desktop, we're sticking them in laptops, and they're they're just beautiful. You got thin and light. You got yes. slightly thicker with amazing performance, um, big monitors. So the laptop gaming market is growing incredibly fast, and this is unheard of. And right. I, I really feel like that's a lot largely enabled because the GPU technology has finally gotten to the point where you can get awesome laptops. So yep. first of all, I'm excited about that, and and that trend I think is going to continue which means that laptops are going to get better and better and better. Form factors are going to get lighter. And um, you know, mobile is going to be more common for, for gaming. Oh, and let me put a plug in for PC World. If you go to PCWorld.com right now, you can re read a review of Alienware's 13 with the GTX 1060 Ooh, in it. What would you think? Uh, I, I personally did not review, but I touched it, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, it's it's just that. It's got an OLED. Yeah. It's got a GTX 1060. God Man, you don't need anything else. God bless them. You don't need anything else. So, <laughs> And it has amplifier support, which brings up the, Ooh, the external, external GPU. Yeah. 
I just kind of wonder, like, you know, do you, are we ever going to go away from desktop? I'm, I'm frankly, I'm a desktop person. I'm never going to lose a desktop. <laughs> me too. But, me too. Um, is the gravity moving away from? I, I, from I us? would say that it's there's a there. So it for all time, PC gaming has been desktop, right? So if 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 there's a gravity moving away, I will say yes. There's a little bit of gravity moving away, but it's it's like here's a giant planet, and there's a little moon, and the moon's you know pulling a little bit. I don't think the bulk of PC gaming is going to move to laptop. I think the bulk of PC gaming is going to remain desktop because you get a better experience, right? You can get higher performance, you can get bigger monitors, you got a keyboard and mouse that's separate. And um, gaming today is not something that you generally need to do mobile, right? So I, I, I view it as it, it's just a better setup to be a desktop. Um, but some people like mobile and I'm all for that as well. But I don't think desktop's going away. Okay. Yeah. And, and in the long run of PC gaming, obviously, I don't know if you've seen our GeForce Now technology, but it's pretty cool. If you get a Shield, and Shield is also pretty cool. It's our, it's our uh, home TV kind of thing, uh, Android TV. Um, you can actually use that device and connect to our servers, which yes. we have game servers. And then you can scroll through all our catalog, and it'll render on the cloud and then stream to your home device. And honestly, the experience for that is console quality. Yeah, I, you know, I and I, I have tried it. I, it's it's not bad. Brad, did you you got a question? Sorry, I have a question related to GeForce Now. Yeah, go for it. Um, right now, it's mostly limited to Shield, as you said. Um, was there ever any plans? Could it possibly be in the future that even if it's limited to GeForce Experience users or GeForce users, is there a chance? Because it's subscription gaming too, right? You can yep. Play a fee and then you can play games. Is there a chance that could move its way towards PC gamers as well? Well, uh, another excellent question, Brad. Thank you. I would say uh, nothing about future plans. However, what do you think? I think it would be great. <laughs> you think it'd be great? It's like Origin. It's like Origin Access or whatever it's called, right? Yes. You pay five bucks a month and you get access to a bunch of games. Yep. This seems to be very much in that model, and it's confusing to me that it's not available for at least GeForce users. Yep. What do you think? I, you know, I, and I have used it on the Shield console, and I got to say, it's not bad. Of course, you know, I'm pretty close to the servers in San Jose, but yes. it just killed me to think like seven ninety nine a month. Yeah, you know, it's like I got to save up to buy my <laughs> high bandwidth bridge and some new Apple dongles. I can't afford that. We're building a new building, so dongle building. It's just like, yeah, it's a little tough, you know, because I've, I've got a gaming PC. So, yeah. so it's you're not, it's not, you're cool. not the customer, right? You're, you're I'm not the customer for yeah. it. But let me. Um, so back to your question, Brad. I I don't see any technical hurdle. To, uh, to expanding the reach of GeForce now. Obviously, um, the, it's, a, it's a business decision about how do we, how do we learn? Because really, that's where we are right now. We're, we're trying to understand how does this market evolve and how does, it, how does the gaming, how do, how do people want to play games in the future? And I can tell you that streaming is an amazingly compelling economic um, technology. But the question is, is it good enough for most PC gamers? And is it going to get better? And how's that all going to shake out? We're going to go slow. Right, so we're we're needing to to learn more about this and and to figure out how can we deliver a great experience. It's kind of like G Sync, right? We wanna we wanna make sure that gamers can, you know, reliably connect to this service and reliably get a good experience. And if we sort of turn on the world, there, that's not going to happen, right? There, there's going to be not enough bandwidth, not enough servers. People going to be disappointed, and so that's not going to happen. So really, what you're talking about is. We're learning about how to deliver services, deliver streaming, and uh, over time, it's going to get broader and better. 
And I, I got to say, before I understood the glory of building my own PC uh, and PC gaming, uh, it was around the time that OnLive came out, you know, and I, I loved that future coming from console. I was like, oh, you know, maybe I can get into a little more of the PC stuff. It never worked. So, yeah, no. it's, it's an incredibly <laughs> difficult problem. It really, really is. Yeah. And we've already developed a bunch of new technology to make that faster. Um, Grid is a big part of that, where it's taking right. uh, GPUs and putting them in the cloud, building, you know, these racks and helping data centers get done. But it, but it it is a huge technical problem, and it's it's going to take some time to get it to the level where NVIDIA feels like, hey, this is something we want to go broader with, right? So I have a good question cool. from the chat from uh, Velchko. Velchko. Yeah. Uh, and he says, what about NVIDIA GameWorks in PC gaming? That was great technology. In Witcher 3, for example, HairWorks could use additional optimization. Though. Definitely. So the, I think the question is, what about it? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the future of it? There's actually been a couple of questions based off ah. of the the, uh, the GameWorks. Okay. Well, um, just to let everybody know what GameWorks is, right? So GameWorks is the name for all of our developer relations and developer technology. And when you're developing a PC game, you, you basically pick an engine like Unreal or something like that, and then you want to make it, you know, add more effects, add smoke, add destruction, add particles, add, you know, shields and lightning, all that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff is complex scientific calculations with, you know, PhD level algorithm development and stuff like that. And most game developers can't invest in developing those algorithms. But NVIDIA can, and we've, we've um, attracted some of the best visual scientists in the world, and we have a group where these guys are, you know, inventing things like, you know, how do I do better fog? How do I do, you know, billions of particles and make it look great for a cape and stuff like that? So all of that technology gets converted into middleware. And that middleware is packaged and delivered as a as one big ball to uh, to game developers, and they can pick and choose what they want to use. Um, so that's what's up with GameWorks. It's it's a critical way that we can help make PC gaming better, and it's it's meant to lower the cost of adoption um, for spectacular effects. And um, you know that's that's just sort of how we do it. Now, I've, uh, I'm not sure exactly what his question is, but you can expect GameWorks to get better and better and better as we invent newer technologies, improving performance, and you know, improving the effects that we deliver. Sure, and I, I'm just going to have to say this because somebody will say it. Yes. But, and you know it's gonna, what I'm going to say, but, and developers are free to use whatever they want. They don't have to use right. GameWorks. No, There's they no, can do whatever they want. They so think of, it as, think of it as, here's a bunch of work that NVIDIA has done, right. and, and game developers can have access to it because it's awesome. Yes. Now, if they choose to not use it because they have a better solution or they have a different view, great. You know, we'll work with them also. Okay. But we we needed a way to accelerate game games getting better, and the only way we can do that is to actually invest. And that's one of the key things I, I try to make clear to people is that we are a gaming company, right? And we invest. We we take the the you know the the revenue and the profit and the margin that we can generate, and we do great things for gaming that otherwise would not happen. How does that benefit my uh, Radeon RX 480? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I hear, I know where you're going with that, but I'm going to refute your premise, Gordon, because your Radeon is better because of the investment that we make in gaming. Really? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because all of that technology gets embedded in games, and a lot of that technology is not just on NVIDIA. Okay. Yeah. So that does benefit Team Red, you're saying, sure. as well. Sure. And I would love it if Team Red did stuff that benefited me someday. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Roy, uh, Roy. <laughs> I suspect when I get back 
to my desk. We'll probably get an email from. from <laughs> I'm sure so. you will. Hey, he'd love to visit. Uh, <laughs> Hey, so, you know, the huge news last week, and I, I, I'm probably going to mangle this, but Microsoft and a bunch of PC OEMs, the familiar faces, said, hey, we're going to do VR. Was it $299 or $399? Man, $299. $299. Is that going to, I mean, we don't even really know much else about this. Brad actually wrote a story about it, but I don't know that much beyond, hey, $299. It's like, that's great. That's great. Is this going to be a game changer for you guys? Can you tell us what you know that you can disclose about <laughs> <laughs> that I can now disclose Not here. <laughs> He's been waiting to tell us. Nobody's watching. Wow. Yeah. This won't be recorded. No. Um, so obviously I can't talk about, you know, other people's products, sure. especially if they're unreleased. However, 399 or 299 VR, 299 is great. Um, I, I feel like VR is going to do a lot to PC gaming because in general, um, you know, VR is so cool. And it's, in, it's, I think almost everybody who's tried it knows that it's going to get better and better and better, and it's going to be bigger than PC gaming. And the experiences that you're getting in PC gaming are today just a tiny, tiny little tweak at what it can be. So $299, bringing the price point down, I think is, is a natural evolution of the market. There's nothing about a VR headset that says it needs to be 600 bucks, right? Sure. But I mean, is that the brand? I mean, like, people are like, man, $800 for a Vive? That's mm-hmm. stiff. And like, yeah. they're looking at... Two ninety nine, yeah, that's like almost like that's a Christmas gift for somebody, almost for <laughs> somebody, somebody rich, <laughs> somebody, well, or somebody in your family, or yeah, you know, yeah, definitely, I won't be getting one of those. I, but I think VR price points are going to continue to come down. Okay, and it's because um, you know a typical business, right? As as prices come down, volumes go up, and um, you know you can build a real business. Right now, we're in again. We're just in these very, very, very early days, and there's you know games are starting to come, experiences are starting to come, and new business models are starting to come. One thing I like to say is, you know, people think of it, in, especially here, how does VR affect PC gaming? And the truth is it gets better and it's going to be awesome. But VR affects things like medicine and it affects things like finance and architecture and pornography. <laughs> Just to have, yeah, yeah, pornography. Out there. yeah. So it's, I think the, knows. the real inflection point for VR is the minute somebody on Wall Street can make half a percent of margin more because they can trade a half a percent better than they otherwise could. Or when you can diagnose cancer a uh, half a percent better. Sure. Or, or you know, visualize a building and, and do interior design. I think all of this life-changing stuff is where gaming is going to enable actually a real change in the world around us. But I mean, what I'm wondering is that at 299, does that make um, the, because it's not, a, it's very much an enthusiast level technology right now. Mm-hmm. Does, does 299 VR make this mainstream PC gaming? I don't know. I don't okay. think it's quite mainstream yet because you still, um, and, and it probably won't be mainstream for another generation or two. And the reason is because you need the GPU system to back that up. So it kind of doesn't matter if your headset is 299 if your PC is still going to be $1,200 to, to use it, right? Sure. So what to go really mainstream, you need that sub $500 PC to have the gaming experience of a 1080 or a Titan X. And once that happens, you can start um, seeing these lower cost VR systems that are going to really, you know, hit that inflection point. But I still think we're a little ways out before those price points really hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I promise we'd talk about future PC gaming, but I just, I, I got to throw this question out because I, <laughs> this is actually a question I'd written down and I never oh, no. remembered it. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. Are we, so, you know, getting from 28 nanometer, that was like, we were stuck on 20 nanometer forever. It now we're on like 14, 16, 15. It's just been beautiful, <laughs> right? Are we now going to be stuck at 14 nanometer for the next 
three years? I mean, interesting question. Well, um, I first of all, I'm not a fabulous. I'm not okay. a fab. So I, I can't comment yeah. on the technology roadmap of TSMC. However, I do happen to know that TSMC is investing in next generation lithography at a very high rapid rate. And also Samsung is and Global Foundries is. So I do not see any um, like technical reason that the next node wouldn't be on a typical two to three year timeline, right? And if you look at TSMC's uh, public statements, they've said things like, you know, we think we're going to see risk production in 2017. So if that's the case, risk production means that, you know, if you're a, if you're a company like Nvidia, you could go to them and say, hey, I, I, you know, your process is not really fully baked yet, but we'll try some, and that's that's a quick look at how oh. technology gets done. So just based on what TSMC has said and others, uh, I don't see any reason why the node is going to stall. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, your further question is, are, are, you know, are we done? And, yeah. and clearly we're not. So I'm just trying, <laughs> what was the first 28 nanometer? Was it Kepler? Kepler was... Ooh, I believe it was for us Kepler. So we went from Kepler with... That was uh, seven series uh, to Kepler was six. six. So six were from so twenty eight took us from six series all the way to nine eighty. Yes, and we did a Maxwell spin in the middle, right? So right. for us, it was sort of a technology node, and then new parts, and then there was a spin of those parts, and then there was a whole new architecture, and then a spin of those parts, right? Okay. So we basically did two major um, generations of architecture, and what's cool about that is, I think anybody who knows the, the history says, Kepler was a great big step over Fermi, just yep. a dramatically yes. better part. 680 was a great part, and it, it just rocked, right? And then when we did uh, 980, it was amazing, right? right. And, and Maxwell has been a fantastic leap in performance and per, per watt over our prior generation. So I don't think GPUs are moving at that same sort of, you have to have a technology node to get a dramatically better part. You don't. You don't. And we're going to continue to innovate within the same node as long as we can. It's really an economics question about when do you move down these technology nodes and, you know, we got business planners and process planners and, and we're going to move as, as soon as it makes economic sense. And that's typically at the very beginning of the cycle. Okay. I'm just sort of thinking we got three gens out of, out of 20 nanometer projecting forward. Now that we're, we're asking you to talk about stuff that's coming down the road, but if we're looking at three generations or two generations past 10, 10 series, that's, that's not bad, I guess. Yeah, if we I, get the same performance. I, I, I think we all love new technologies, and they enable different um, sort of perf per watt points and different perf points, and it, it's kind of what drives our entire ecosystem. So, But it's not the only thing, and um, GPUs are one of those uh, unique applications where there's, um, I call it unlimited demand. Right, you you can you can never say that I have enough GPU performance because you can always make better fidelity, you can always make higher pixels, you can always make more, you know. So more visual quality is a driver for um, silicon demand, and that actually helps drive this whole engine that we think of. So it's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think we're getting near the end before I get yelled at. Yeah, let's do some uh, some Q and A. We got we a ton a, of okay. questions. Oh my here. gosh! All right. Uh, yeah, most of them about uh, AMD cards. Oh, um, I'm just no. That's good. <laughs> Excellent question. Next, uh, let's see. Uh, let me find one real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, 
so my GTX 1060 will get better and better driver support for DX12 Vulkan games in the future, or will I need to get a new GPU? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, our plan, and, and what we've always done historically, is made our GPUs, the current silicon, better and better and better as we rev our drivers. And the reason that happens is because games are changing, and they're they're kind of improving the way they implement DX12. And we do work on our, our driver side to improve DX12. And so your current silicon, your current GPUs, will in fact get better and better and better over the next year and a half or two years as this whole ecosystem kind of matures, both for Vulkan and for DX12. So. Absolutely. But still buy a new card. Is but what definitely buy a new card as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, what about 4K uh, high refresh rate G-Sync monitors? Well, again, I, I don't want to make With any... HDR. <laughs> wow. OLED, too. OLED. OLED. Yeah. OLED. Yeah. And, uh, touch. They're all in there. And touch. Yeah. Oh, and touch. Yeah. 5K. Um, I, 5, 8K. Why? 5, yes, 8K, you're right. right? <laughs> so, um, again, I don't want to comment on any unreleased products, but G-Sync's not done, and we're moving that, um, that technology forward, and it's going to be all kinds of great stuff. Uh, is there a next NVIDIA tablet coming soon? Ooh, excellent question. Gordon, what do you think? I think, I think there will be, frankly. Mm. I think there will be another tablet, and I look mm. forward to it because, you know, I, the Shield is still, I mean, probably one of the best. And I, I say this totally fair because I, I think it is probably one of the best Android uh, tablets out there still because, frankly, Android tablets have been kind of dead. It'd be nice to see something newer. Tiger mm-hmm. X in there, maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Tiger X1. Well, thank you for that comment, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I'll just leave it there. I'll leave it there. Gordon thinks yes, but I, I, think, I have no right. comment. I, I think the next <laughs> NVIDIA tablet is called uh, the Nintendo Switch. Oh, but he can't talk about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Tom cannot talk about that. <laughs> All right, moving on. There's a lawyer <laughs> off camera. Wow. Like, you went there? Don't talk about <laughs> Don't talk about it. It's like three things I can't talk about. Uh, I, I, I should should have mentioned these uh, people's questions, the names. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Willie uh, asks, um, inside of GeForce Experience 3, will there ever be an option to configure hotkeys for basic functions like uh, in control panel, like rotating displays and things Ooh, like that? Great question. So, you're, you're, um, so Willie, your question is, uh, is there going to be a tighter integration with control panel functions and GeForce Experience? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I kind of hope over time that GeForce Experience and the control panel kind of get closer together. They are a little bit different, right? They have different um, focuses. GeForce Experience is sort of more about um, the game and the control panel is almost more about the GPU. So you could kind of see those separately. But on the other hand, you could, you could try to merge those together. Right now, I, I think they're going to be separate for a little while. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's evolving. The whole question of how should, that, how should that duality, how should that come together is still very much, um, you know, being looked at. Uh, and uh, somebody else along those same lines is asking about uh, being able to change their case fan lighting and, and things like that. Ooh, you know, um, oh, Gordon, yeah. you may remember this. Oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I was going to bring up uh, ESA. Yes, oh, my God, you know, yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, my God, that is ancient history. Yes. <laughs> so uh, NVIDIA actually used to have a chipset business, and it was called M-Force. And uh, yeah. part, of, part of what I did at, at that group was this thing with Mark Overby, who's one of our, our chief scientist-type guys, um, also on our U- USB. BIF committee, and we invented this thing called ESA. 
And it's just exactly for that, which is to uh, make LEDs and fans and temperature and power, power, supply. power supply all communicate through a standard interface so that you could have third parties write software and control everything. Now, that interface is still out there, and I'm seeing different people do different uh, plug-and-play kind of things. I think Corsair has a few and, and, um, and others. Um, but, you know, it, it hasn't... It hasn't migrated. We did a control panel, actually, something called Entune. You remember Entune years ago? Yes. And yes. it was kind of a disaster. It, it, it was, and I, Daryl, uh, um, sorry, it, it was actually very nice, but no, it wasn't great. <laughs> and and uh, we ended up having to, to, you know, when we closed down the chipset business, we closed down that application. So that's a long answer to <laughs> someday. Um, I, I know there's a desire to do that. And I, I, I am trying to figure out, or we're trying to figure out, how can NVIDIA help DIY. How can NVIDIA help PC builders? And sure. Gordon, if you have ideas on this, on, on. I, I, you know, I think the, the issue is it's got, you know, one of the things I think with ESA is you know, there was a monetary, and from what I saw from the external, from the outside, is, is there was a monetary cost to it. You know, there were a few people that did it initially. People didn't want to pay for it. But I sort of think we're to the point now where it needs to be uh, neutral ground. It needs mm-hmm. to be, because the problem is if you guys did it in your control panel, a ain't gonna work for my Radeon, card. right? It's not gonna work for my other hardware. It really does need to be something baked into yeah. the to DirectX. It's a gaming because definitely at this point it's sort of a gaming thing. You've you got all these different. ASUS has a, yeah. a yeah. LED control. Come on, Razer has Razer right? has one. Uh, Logitech has one. At this right? point, Microsoft needs to step in and say we need a unified. <laughs> yeah, well, lighting system for the just, operating just system. Just so which you know, crazy. we did contribute all of that IP to the USB. Oh, IF, okay. Right? So um, Nvidia isn't like holding back a, a, a hid protocol for that. It's all part of the standard. And if people, you know, if, if one day Microsoft is watching this stream and today's the day, Microsoft, sure, <laughs> standardized lights. It's going to be great. Yeah, I mean that would be. Hey, they can't do that on the Mac. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we get a question from Christopher asking, uh, will we be seeing more vBIOS updates to the Pascal series? Ooh. Well, I don't, I don't know the answer if we're going to see more vBIOS updates. But in general, we don't like to do field vBIOS updates. And the reason is because there's some, um, it's a little bit more technical than a driver update. It's a little bit more, you know, really, really don't turn it off in yeah. the middle of the update. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if there's ever a way to avoid doing a vBIOS update, we'll do it in the driver. Was there actually one that was pushed out or? There was, in, there oh. was, there was a driver update, uh, I'm sorry, a vBIOS update for a memory um, stability issue that oh. we fixed. Okay. And, um, you know, that, that literally was, you know, a bug that was caught late. There was no way to fix it without okay. doing the thing. But I hate, you know, we hate doing that. Right, because that is basically buy me a new video card because if it I blew work. it up yeah. flashing your yeah. mandatory you, flash. You gave me the method to blow up my video card, so now I'd like you to replace it. Please. Yes. yes. So we hate that. <laughs> uh, here's a good one from Veljiko. I'm sorry. I'm usually one mingling. Yeah, now it's my turn. He says, will you implement GPU overclocking functions inside GeForce Experience user interface for specific cards. Wow. Well, I got to tell you that um, I don't know the answer to that, or I don't want to. I don't want to say the answer to that, mm-hmm. but I, I can. I can say that GeForce overclocking is is so great, and it's uh, it's being serviced today by a bunch of different partners that are building their own overclocking tools. Um, but you know, I always want to push things forward, and we always want to make things better. Um, but we also want to work with our partners, so it's 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 exactly it's hard to it's hard to say. Here's a good one. Uh, Josh asks, I'm sorry, it's not Josh. Uh, Farah asks, uh, will NVIDIA control panel get a facelift? 
God, I hope so. God, I hope so. Uh, yeah, someday, someday. Keep waiting for it. Gosh, I, w- I want to take that question and send it to some people inside right now. But we all know how to use I it. I got two so. questions from readers about NVIDIA control panel as well. Needing yeah. a refresh. Really? Yeah, really. Uh, really? They don't like the retro fuel of it? Oh, come on. Stop piling on. Go ahead, Brad. What is it? What do you got? No, that, you basically answered them all. That's why I'm quite there. Go ahead. Sorry. It's just, you know, is there a chance of it getting updated in the future? Because it feels like it's lagging behind GeForce Experience 3, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely feel like it's well understood that our control panel could use a could use an update. I don't want to make any comments on when or where or how, but I feel I use it every day, and I, I, I would like to update it. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, we got an interesting one from Teresa asking, uh, you mentioned VR technology advancing in both medical and gaming industry. Do you see a prominent future for VR technology in the education system as well? I, I do. I mean, um, and it's an excellent question. I think VR is is so unknown right now. And, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of analogies I would make, but you don't really know how it's going to change things. Can it, can it make education Five percent better. I think it could. I think. I think if you had a, a class that was VR enabled, you could make those people educated five percent better. And would that pay for the cost of the gear? I think absolutely. So it, it's just a question of who is going to invent the service or invent the the game or invent the process that leverages this new technology. This is like somebody has just figured out how to make a steel knife for the first time, hmm. right? And now we're, we're like, what can you do with a steel knife? Can it cut steak? Can it cut steak? Can <laughs> I, can I, you know, can I go win a battle? Can I conquer the world? You know, there's a lot of stuff you can do. And right now we just don't know, right? All right. Uh, another one from uh, Elaine asking, uh, will G-Sync ever be widely as widely available as FreeSync? Uh, we need more variety. The G-Sync tax is expensive and seems to hold manufacturers Ooh, back. I can answer this. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's uh, we talked about it earlier. I think you're going to constantly you're going to see G-Sync remain a, a great experience. And the only way we can do that is by um, all of this qualification and sorting, because honestly, there's a lot of panels that don't make it. Right. And so those panels are are still making it into products and they're still being sold to gamers. And we just don't want that to be our legacy. Uh, one, another one from Christopher. Uh, will we see GeForce Experience tweak settings based on CPUs as well? Uh, actually, you do today. So oh. uh, GeForce Experience looks at your CPU. It looks at your GPU. It looks at your um, your monitor. And then it communicates that up to our server in the cloud. And what we've done in the cloud is we've run millions and millions of games and settings and configurations with many different CPU types, many different GPU types. And then we do uh, kind of an algorithm to target those results at your specific PC configuration. So if you have a a low-end CPU and this game is CPU-centric, we will automatically dial the the settings down. If you have a Mm high-end CPU and it's a a um, CPU-sensitive game, then you'll get higher settings in the the recommended settings. Mm -hmm. So it's very cool. It's a system-level optimization based on um, extensive testing that we do in the cloud, and then we just you know, service it to our client. Uh, so Gavin asks, will NVIDIA press PC game developers to include SLI support for all games? 
Well, NVIDIA Press is, I'm going to refute the premise here, because NVIDIA doesn't press game developers. What we do is we offer technology and partnerships to game developers. And, and our goal is to make them successful, not for them to make us successful. So we don't press game developers to do anything. However, um, we are open to working with game developers to make SLI for that particular game. And we, we do most of the work for that internal, where we take the game in and we figure out the right profile. And for those of you who don't know, an SLI profile is trying to figure out what types of textures are they using, how, what kind of cross-communication, and we're turning on and off different copies and different um, communications so that the scaling works without artifacts. So we don't press game developers, but we certainly offer, um, on, on important games, we offer to work with the game developers to make SLI work well. Nice. Uh, Hunter has a really good one. Uh, any ideas on home GPU clouds, such as multi multiple devices using a GPU setup as they need it? Um, home streaming is another great area where things are getting better rapidly. Um, we have a technology already called GameStream, and it's part of GeForce Experience. And effectively, you can game stream between a Shield and your home PC. And it's just like uh, it's just like playing your game. Very low latency. It's using NVIDIA hardware on the GPU side, NVIDIA hardware on the playback side. And you get a really great experience. So home streaming is already happening today with uh, GeForce Experience. Nice. Uh, I have a question. Oh, yeah. Sir, can I hop in there? Uh, yeah, uh, what you're talking about, that technology is really great, actually. I prefer it to uh, Steam Link. But uh, there's a big price difference between Steam Link and the Shield TV, obviously. Yeah. Was um, there a possibility in the future of there being a more Steam Link, like $50 box that does GeForce Now in the future? I never not say never. Game I never say never. Um, you just said it like three times right there. I, <laughs> never, never. No, I, mean, I don't mean never, actually. I mean, I can't comment on future unreleased products, but I do, I do know today that Shield is really about more than just streaming. So the question is, can, is there a market for a, a game stream only device? And I'm not sure. Uh, um, it, I, I honestly don't know. I know there's a Chromecast only device, right? right. And I know there's like I want to I want to stream my phone only device, but is there a I want to stream my game only device? That's not clear. And then that's tough though, because wouldn't you rather sell somebody a 1060 or card that they're going to put in their TV, or do you want to sell them a you know forty dollar streaming box? Yeah, I I totally understand. I, I would rather make a the gaming experience as great as we can with as little additional you know, cost and overhead. But we don't want to make a product that's not going to have enough demand to really justify the product. And, and for me, home TV is all about streaming. And not just streaming games, but streaming movies and videos and music and photos and all the rest of it. So I think that's one big box. I don't think it's like multiple little boxes. You know, a couple of people asked this uh, earlier, I don't have their names, uh, about G-Sync in TV panels. Yeah. Uh, any any word on that? Well, um, there's no technical reason why you couldn't do a G-Sync TV or or a, an adaptive sync TV for that metal. However, on the on the application side, it's less obvious, and the reason is because the content that's feeding that TV is is transcoded to be a fixed content stream, right? Right. Now it does come back a little bit because well now we're streaming, so since you're streaming, um, the the arrival rate of the content is actually variable. So you could actually match the TV to the variable arrival rate, but honestly, I think you're better off just buffering it up because it's not interactive. But again, if you started streaming interactive content, then maybe it would matter. So um, that is a very complex answer to a simple question, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, uh, no comment. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, the, the questions keep rolling. Uh, here's an interesting one from uh, Michael. Uh, I am trying to SLI my GTX 1070 with my old GTX 660 Ti. It's giving me more problems than happiness. Is this recommended? <laughs> For physics yeah. support? Yeah. I guess? Well, SLI is not going to work, right? Because SLI is not just not recommended. It shouldn't give you an option. If it's giving you an option, I'd really like to talk to you. <laughs> um, but if you're trying to do SLI in physics or you know some coprocessor and, and um, a GPU, that should work just out of the box. And it's all supported in the control panel. If you're doing multi-GPU in a game like uh, Ashes or Ashes of Singularity, which has integrated multi-GPU for DX12, it should just work. And if it doesn't just work, then that's a bug. And sorry, I'll look at it. All right. Uh, you know, I, I I know you you probably can't comment on this, but I, I throw it out there Go anyway. Uh, Elaine asks, uh, "Will Founders Edition cards be more common moving forward?" Ooh. She was very very impressed by the aesthetics. Um, well, I would say. You know, obviously, I don't want to comment on unreleased products, but I like the Founders Edition. I like the I like the idea of doing better and better, you know, products direct from Nvidia that that are f- servicing niches and and areas that our partners are not focused on. So, on the one hand, we have a robust channel where where people are building all these great cards, and we're not going to compete with those. But there's another another segment of the market that's really looking for this this aesthetic, and we'll probably continue to service that. Right, and you know, I and I gotta I gotta ask you since you're here. I mean, wasn't the whole Founders Edition thing with the 1080, 1070s, wasn't that just sort of a backdoor price hike? Because it was like, <laughs> yeah, this is a 980 price. Wait, wait a minute. Well, it's $100 more for the Founders Edition. Well, somebody else is going to sell you their car yeah. for less. We're, no, I, I totally get your point. And there was, there was, you know, we could have done that better at launch because we, we confused a lot of people. But the truth is, it's not that complex. Okay. Um, folks like Kelp that make these beautiful boxes back here have, have had a problem with us. He said, hey... I love the ID of your, um, you know, your reference card, which on 980 had the same, you know, it's kind of the silver and stuff. And he loved it. Well, the truth is we don't make that very long. We make it at introduction and then it kind of goes out of the channel and it goes out of the channel because it costs a lot of money to make that. It's, sure. it's made with you know, high quality equipment and it, it is actually not the most effective way for NVIDIA to sell GPUs. So it was mispriced. But we had a problem because, um, so we would make our reference card and then it would go out of the market and it goes out of the market because it's not cost effective, right? But yet people loved it. So the question is, how do you, how do you deal with this? You, you, you basically want to make a card that's going to be more expensive than your base model. So we had this challenge. We, we're like, I know people want a reference card from NVIDIA. But they also want this premium card from NVIDIA, and they want the premium card to stay around forever. So that means the premium card has to be priced right. So that's kind of where the Founders Edition got confused. What we actually did was said, this is a premium card, and it's going to be around for a while. Um, But we didn't come back and say, you know, and here's this other thing, which is the base model. It's a reference card. And that reference card is also going to be around for a while. So we did kind of halfway. We said, you know, this is a premium card. It's not our reference design. And people are like, well, where's your reference design? Isn't this your reference design? No, that's our premium card. So it got a little confused. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Founders Edition is, an, is a premium card. Think of it sort of like the high end of the other AIC's cards. And uh, that's, you know, that's true. And it's not, it's not an, a backhand price hike. It's, it's, an, uh, it's an attempt by NVIDIA to put something into the market that we can keep in the market that folks like Kelt can use uh, over the long haul. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The alternative is what we did on on Maxwell, where it's available at intro, but then disappears, and people are like, "What happened?" Oh, I I had no idea that those disappeared. 
So the benefit of, uh, you know, the founder discard, it sounds like it's a lot for uh, system builders, so they can just, you know, QA one certain type of GPU and have that available for the life and for small form factors and stuff like that. Is that Was that like the designing goal behind it? It was certainly part of it. But, you know, on the other hand, we also want to make a card that's as beautiful and, and sounds, you know, we want to say, here's something that's really good. And we want to help our partners uh, strive to do better. You know, they if, if we put out a low-end card only, then I don't think there's as much incentive for everybody else to kind of push up push up the quality stack, which is what we're really, really investing in. We're saying, here's sort of a benchmark. Go beat it. And they do. They go out there and they make cards that are better and they make cards that are more cost effective. And I think it's good for everybody. The system builders get a product that they can rely on. And, you know, people, some, you know, gamers love it just for what it is and they get a product they can rely on. But I think we could have done a much better job when we introduced it because we, we confused some people. But it's, it's actually nothing weird. It's just poorly communicated. Hmm. All right. Uh, we got another one from Velgeco uh, asking, uh, when will HBM or HBM2 memory come to high-end graphics cards? Well, I think it's already here, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so GP100 has HBM2, and that's on our uh, Tesla product line. Um, and HBM is already on Fury. Right. So. Is he going to get, when's, I think what he wants to know is, when's he going to get down to a card we can afford? Uh, Fury. Yeah, I, that's I mean, in that question area where I can't answer, unfortunately, sure. on future product roadmaps. But, but uh, you know, memory bandwidth is important, and um, we're going to continue to make um, products that push up the memory technology curve over time. Okay. Uh, sorry, they, they, they just keep coming. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep asking. <laughs> I'm going to get yelled at. I know. Pretty soon someone's going to come yeah. in that door and I'll, they're going to yell I'll take at me. the fall. Yeah, right, this is, having it. Tom on is awesome. I mean, this is like you're asking questions of NVIDIA. This man is answering. Yeah. I, am, awesome I am here to try to help, right? <laughs> uh, Nesk, Nelson asks a very nebulous question. Right, Nelson. How will NVIDIA Tegra X2 perform? NVIDIA Tegra. Have we talked about something called NVIDIA Tegra? I don't think you have. I don't think I... I, 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 Honestly, I don't even know what that is. Okay. You can't talk about that. (laughs) Even if I knew, I couldn't talk about it, but I don't know. Are there any, like... And and I know we may be filtering the hostile. Do we have hostile AMD fan questions? Oh, maybe. We should throw a a couple of those at Tom. Or I'm going to make some up. I'm going to make up some angry AMD... There is a question from Richard. Is an NVIDIA AMD merger possible in the future? Oh, boy, that's... That sounds kind of funny. Financially, yeah, and I think I mean, he can't talk about that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pass yeah. only because of the financial. Yeah, we're in a, that. Yeah. We're right now. Uh, just so you know, we're in a. He can't talk about certain financial stuff because of the lawyer standing right there off camera, <laughs> and he will pull him off the camera. Uh, we'll shut so down the screen. We're gonna it. shut down the internet. But I can comment. <laughs> but I would say, yeah, that that's that's. I think that's highly unlikely because, frankly, you know, you have everything in one. You know, vendors' hands, and generally the government doesn't like that. So that's. Oops, sorry. I think you'd have a better <laughs> chance of Apple, Intel, or somebody bizarre, Google, or somebody buying AMD, frankly, if you're looking at it that way. <laughs> uh, Trevor asks Are there any technologies coming that will provide an exponential leap in graphics performance, uh, kind of like the uh, uh, 880 uh, series? Oh, that, wow. Yeah. So, um, excellent question. So, those of you who I'm so, don't... I'm sorry, uh, 8800. 8800, That's yeah. What I so, the 8800 back in the day, that was our first, I believe, G, 
GT or GTX? No, it was GTX 8800, right? Yeah. Uh, and then that was our first G- uh, DX10 part. Mm-hmm. And when you looked at a DX10 game, there were a couple features on DX10 that were just way better than uh, what we were doing on DX9. So you could see things like geometry shaders doing their stuff, and it was just really cool. And you could see Tesla, you know, all kinds of cool effects coming out. Um, so is there li- something like that in the future? There definitely is. There, there's no doubt that it is. I, I'm particularly excited about two things, one of which I can talk about, which is this whole projection um, modeling and projection editing that we're doing with SMP. It's a brand new idea for us, which is, you know, you've got this graphics pipeline, which is doing geometry, and then it's doing sort of pixels, and you're ending, your, your last stage before it goes on the screen is called projection. And what you do with projection is you take this, this model that's in three dimensions, and you kind of squish it to a plane that's going to go on the screen. Well, we just sort of realized that during that process of squishing, you can actually squish it in twisted and contorted ways. So you're able to generate this sort of faceted, squished image, and that can actually match multiple different applications, things like variable resolution and, and VR for a lens-matched um, shade. But I think there's many, many more of that. And when you start thinking about holodeck kind of experiences where you're in a room and the, the room around you is, you know, a dome, to do the dome, you actually need a, a 360 faceted projection. And so that kind of stuff is going to change, uh, I think, eventually some really fundamental stuff. Hmm. It's pretty cool. The other one, of course, is, um, you know, much more I don't want to talk about. But yeah, there's another one <laughs> that is so freaking amazing. I got to tell you, can you I can't tell it. I can't tell you right now, but I'm so excited. <laughs> we'll have to we'll talk about it next year. Yeah, yeah. Bring me yeah. back in a year and a half. Or, or so. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, Francis asks, is it true that NVIDIA can't perform async and can't keep up uh, lacking performance in DX12? Oh, see, that's, that's the go. questions we need. There Damn. We Adversarial DX12. AMD. DX12. I love it. So uh, thank you for that question, Roy. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, the truth is we do async compute just like everybody else does. And uh, we did a couple demos at Pascal launch that showed our async compute performance. But again, async compute is one characteristic of DX12, and it's not the most important one. And it's, it's, it's a very early days on that. And I think as games start using that and our driver starts improving, you're going to see you know, radically different results than where everybody's kind of sitting right now. So async compute is something that we, you know, we support all the DX12 features, and it's going to be over time that you see how they all kind of work out nice uh we got another one uh from adriel asking when can we use the new geforce experience without logging in oh i don't know the answer to that unfortunately so you don't want to log into geforce experience i think that's going to be kind of a i think that's a deal breaker i think i'm not sure all right all right i don't expect that to be common uh what do you uh, think gordon yeah it'd be nice i don't think it's i don't think it's gonna happen all right uh if you really want to do it use a throwaway email Sorry, Tom. The no, no, no. Email. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Get a, I, go, go, get a Google email. I don't have a problem that I just can't remember my password. Right? You know, like, why has nobody come up with a great password locker that I can log into Windows with a password locker and it just sticks it? I know Google does some of that, right? Like, yeah. but, but it's not great. Isn't, isn't there? I mean, why isn't that happening? I use one password. That does, that I think does you that. do. Yeah. Really? It's just oh. we're on so many devices and you yeah. can. Yeah. I try, but they all have different rules. So yeah. I've, I've now got an omnibus password that's like it, it meets every rule set, but it makes me nervous. I wish I, I wish I had a better way. See, that's. Yeah. 
GPU then, encryption password, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm waiting for you to add GPU support to Outlook so you can do searches in Outlook and have them work. So oh, support like, there should be a GPU acceleration for Office, which is, you know, uh, frankly, why not, right? Uh, they're pushing 3D so hard at Microsoft now, maybe. Uh, you know what Office that. actually needs is an inference engine. So if you're familiar with deep learning, by the way, uh, NVIDIA is big into deep learning, right? We, we do um, massive amounts of investment to do these cloud-based deep learning engines. Google uses it. Amazon uses it. Badu, everybody uses it. And the idea is that you train these neural networks in the cloud and then locally or even in the cloud, you have an inference engine. And what the inference engine does, it says, I got a new pattern and you've trained my network, so here's a great answer. And that's how we do like Google Images, and you do, you know, probably all, almost everything that's doing pattern matching. So, um, you know, it's super exciting to think about how that technology can be applied to other domains. You know, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Nice. I, I think the questions are, are finally starting to, to roll down, but uh, there is one that's important to me uh, that I want to ask. Are you working with Adobe to improve the performance uh, of the integration with your with your Pascal Ooh. cards? Well, we do work with Adobe, and um, you know, I, unfortunately, I'm not in that group, so I don't know the like mm. where we are right now with Adobe. But um, yeah, I, I suspect we're going to make it better. We'd have to get some of the pro guys here to really comment on that. Sadly, <laughs> right. sadly. Uh, and uh, Diane is asking, uh, will NVIDIA budget graphics cards affect AMD? Hmm. Brad. They're great. You should not buy an RX 460. You should buy a GTX 1050 or a GTX 1050 Ti. Brad, that was Brad's opinion before Tom was here, so I know you're going to throw hate at us because Tom's here. But. Yeah, I wrote that last week. Yeah, Good job. Wrote that last Good job. Week, so. But yeah, I, yeah, that's we'll see. Yeah. Hey, Vega 10's coming, right? So Vega 10. <laughs> Right, so well, you know, I can make no comment about future AMD products or how how we're affecting their mainstream. Oh, oh, you mean like this question from Mike? Uh, views on the new AMD Zen? That's interesting to me. I mean, there will be a SLI support. Yes, of course, everybody doesn't use it, but there's going to be <laughs> support. Um, if right? there turns out to be a platform that's like okay. that, then we will support us along that. Okay. Yeah, if it's important for gamers, it's important for us. Sure, and I, I will say. Zen is going to be a super important uh, product. Are you sure? Because I don't know. I honestly, I have no information. I am going to, if everything hits, I was at the demo. It looked fast. They're going to be competitive with core count. They're going to be competitive with IPC. Are they going to be competitive with frequency and with yield? I don't know. But it's just good to see competition oh, in the I know, market, I love it. and I, love it. I, I think it's going to be honestly good for Intel, yeah. frankly. And oh, be good just for to everybody. give a little, like a core two moment again. Yeah, I mean, Intel, you know, they kind of like, they get so far ahead of, and let's let's face it, AMD fanboys have to say, even FX, not a great part. They get so far ahead, Intel starts getting, they start getting, Zen, they start thinking like <laughs> Zen, like, well, oh my God, where's our existence? You know, your existence is making the best <laughs> damn CPU that, and making it fast, not like, oh, do we need to do all these other things? Yeah. And having AMD right there with them is, is going to be good for them, frankly. It puts them back on focus. Uh-huh. I think you're right. So I think you're right. And I'm, I'm looking, I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful that it's good for gaming. Yeah. Oh, I, I think it will be. I, I What I look forward to is, is uh, between DX12 integration and cheaper cores, we're going to have these games that finally take advantage of the core counts that we haven't, we've had on PC for a long time. And uh-huh. maybe we're going to push to six, six cores, you know, uh, multi-threaded games has got to happen sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to happen sooner or later. 
So are we are we clear on the Facebook questions? Yeah, mostly? yeah, we're, 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 we're pretty much sorry. good. Might as well wrap it up. We got to wrap it up because oh my god, I'm <laughs> so yelled. At. One hour and forty seven minutes, oh, brother. Oh man, good job. <laughs> I'm so in trouble. So anyway, I'm gonna do our outro. I want to first. I want to do. I do want to thank Tom for coming in. Tom Peterson with Nvidia answered every single question we threw at him. Most of them. Most of them <laughs> that he could answer without having the lawyer spring over here and choking him. But uh, otherwise. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out, so check back in two weeks. For your fix of PC talk on the Full Nerd, for audio listeners, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to the Full Nerd at PC World. Thank you for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with co-host Brad Charkas. On delay. Adam Patrick Murray. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And our special guest, we want to thank again for coming. NVIDIA's Tom Peterson. Thank you for being a good uh Good, good person for dealing with <laughs> oh, all the questions. Oh, come on. So, Thanks, Gordon. Yeah, it's yeah, great yeah. to be here. And yeah. good to see you. And good to see you. And we will have AMD on. Yes. <laughs> I I'll watch it. Now. I'll yes. watch it. So. Awesome. See Thanks, ya. guys. See you, guys.